0: Hello and welcome to Bread for Life. This is your host, Daniel Velasquez, and I am really thankful for the opportunity to be able to share with you all and, and uh, today start this new series where we're going to be reading the Bible. And um, really, I wanted to do this for those people that have never had an opportunity to to actually check out the Bible for themselves. I think there's a lot of voices out there, as I've always said, about so many things, but in order for, for you to find out uh, the truth, oftentimes you have to go in and, and check it out for yourself, right? So um, this uh, also, uh, I have a scholar Bible where um, they've, they've studied these texts, you know, where they come from, the author, the title, the date, the place of writing, the themes. And there's a brief introduction that I'm gonna read about the, the, the book of John, which is uh, what we're gonna read today and, and really every book that we read. Uh, just to give you a little bit of understanding of where this is in the Bible, it's is the fourth gospel, um, basically the first four books of the New Testament, which is uh, where Jesus and beyond, right? Uh, there's the Old Testament, which is uh, Genesis, uh, you know, all the way through the prophets. Uh, there's the Torah, which are the Jewish, five, the first five books of the Bible, and um there's the Psalms, the Proverbs, so I actually want to read a, as well from a, a Psalm and a Proverb today, so that we're familiar with those books, which are um, in and of themselves, uh, uh, you know, books of wisdom, books of, of praises, which will will get an understanding of. Um, but to not make it too long, we're going to get started with with John. So author and title: the title says that the Gospel was written by John, and other evidence identifies this John as the son of Zebedee. The internal evidence indicates that the author was an apostle, one of the 12 disciples, and he was referred as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So there's a, but a few verses here that are mentioned. Um, and still more specifically, John the son of Sebedee. So uh, this is a, a reference from other books within the Bible where it, it references to this disciple that was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The date and place of writing, the most likely date of writing, is the period between AD 70, the destruction of the temple, and AD 100, the end of John's lifetime, but there is not enough evidence to be much more precise. A date subsequent to AD 70 suggested, among other things, by the references in 6.1 and 21.1 of the book uh, to the Sea of Tiberias, which was a name widely used for the Sea of Galilee only toward the end of the first century. The reference in 21.19 to Peter's martyrdom, probably between 64 and 66, um, also indicates it's after 70 AD, and the lack of reference to the Sadducees, who ceased to be a Jewish religious party after 70 AD. Um, and these are references referenced in the other, uh, in the first three Gospels, where it talks about the Sodices, this uh, religious party that was uh, alive at the time of Jesus living, uh, but in, uh, it, they ceased. To, uh, to be a Jewish religious party after 70 A.D. 70 A.D. is when the temple was destroyed um, So uh, by the Romans. So, um, yeah. The testimony of the early church also favors the day after 70 A.D. Thus, Clement of Alexandria stated, Last of all, John, perceiving that the external facts have been made plain in other canonical gospels, the first three, composed a spiritual gospel. This is cited in Eusebius' Ecclesiastical History, Volume 6, um, Book 14, and in Section 7. So here's some evidence for other uh, historical um, books that that give a reference to this. Uh, The most likely place of writing is Ephesus in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, which was one of the most important urban centers of the Roman Empire at the time. And this is also referenced by Arrhenius against the heresies in uh, Volume 3, Book 1, Section 2, and Eusebius' Ecclesiastical History, Volume 3, Book 1, Section 1. However, the readership envisioned by John's Gospel transcends any one historical setting. Um, so yeah, I mean, the the gospel of John is a little bit different from the other gospels. The reason I wanted to start with this one versus the gospel of Matthew, which was another disciple that wrote this first gospel in the the Bible is because Matthew was written more for an audience of Jews where he consistently cites, um, you know, we'll, we'll get there, but John is, is, is a little bit easier to understand, um, as well as it can be really deep. So, um, you know, it depends on how, how much you, you go into it. But um, it's also recommended oftentimes that, that it's one of the best books to start uh, reading the Bible whenever you're, you're reading it. So, anyways, that's why we're, we're, we picked this one. Um, and here's a little bit of, of insight on that. The theme of John, here it says, The theme of John is gospel is that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Son of God. By believing in Jesus, people can have eternal life. So, that's the theme. And purpose, occasion, and background, the Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John, Psalm 70, a Palestinian Jew, and a member of Jesus' inner apostolic circle during his early ministry. John's original audience consisted of both Jews and Gentiles living in the larger Greco-Roman world in Ephesus and beyond toward the close of the first century. He frequently explains Jewish customs and Palestinian geography and translates Aramaic terms into Greek, thus showing awareness of non-Jewish readers. He also presents Jesus as the word become flesh against the backdrop of Greek thought that included Stoicism and early Gnosticism. But John also shows awareness of Jewish readers as he demonstrates Jesus to be the Jewish Messiah. The fulfillment of many Old Testament themes and the Son of God who was sent by God the Father to reveal the only true God and to provide redemption for humanity. The purpose statement in 20 chapter 20 verses 30 31 makes it appear that John wrote with an evangelistic intent however his depth of teaching shows evangelistic means that he wanted people to understand that Jesus was the Messiah and therefore believe in him and, and in a way convert that's what evangelism is is believing in Jesus and you know getting you know helping others so he wanted readers not only to come into initial saving faith in Jesus is what the text saying but also grow into a rich well informed faith. Oh, very nice. John's central contention is that Jesus is the long awaited Messiah and Son of God, and that by believing in him people may have eternal life. To this end, he marshals the evidence for several elective messianic signs performed by Jesus, and of a series of witnesses to Jesus, including the Scriptures. John the Baptist, Jesus himself, God the Father, Jesus's works, the Spirit, and John himself. So these are the witnesses of Jesus. Um, It is also likely that John sought to present Jesus as the new temple and center of worship for God's people, a concept that would be specially forceful in the date of composition, as seems likely, was subsequent to AD 70, the time of the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. So yeah, that's that's the purpose and background and and theme of, of John. So now we can actually get into what it says. So, uh, and then uh, I would like to read a psalm as well and give some introduction into that and and, um, a proverb as well. So, anyways, John chapter 1. These are short, so it's not like it's going to take forever, guys. We can can do it. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. So uh, I'm going to make a quick parenthesis. He's not talking about John himself. He's actually talking about another John, John the Baptist, who uh, was uh, prophesied as a voice that would call out from the desert to give announcement of the Messiah in uh, the Old Testament, right? So he's saying that there was this man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So he's saying that this man did come to life uh around the same time of jesus who gave witness of him okay verse 9 the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him this is talking about jesus but to all who did receive him who believed in his name He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received a grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So this is uh, him just giving a reference of when John actually made it very clear that when he was when talk, talking about Jesus and he pointed out, this is he whom I said he who, you know, is before me because he, at this time he was also believed by the Ju- Jewish people to be a prophet and, and this is why he would go and baptize people, which was a, a new practice for the time. Um, and the Pharisees kind of criticized it. So anyways, no, so this is just, you know, the testimony of of John. So it keeps on in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when Jesus sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked them, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one who do not know. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the script descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Then the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." The two disciples heard him. So John the Baptist, he had people follow him because again he was believed to be like you know very important at that time, and that's why, like definitely a prophet, and why um, the Pharisees had sent to ask him about who he was and who he claimed to be. Um, sorry. So it said the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which also means rock. But that's not written there. It only... Uh, sorry, I just wanted to also explain that Cephas means Peter, but also means rock. But here in the text, 42 is on the only says which means Peter. The next day Jesus this is verse 43 Jesus the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee he found Philip and said to him follow me now Philip was from Bethsaida a city the city of Andrew and Peter Philip found Nathanael and said to him we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph Nathanael said to him can anything good come out of Nazareth Philip said to him come and see you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, I truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's chapter one of John. So we're just going to leave it there. Um, that is the introduction to the book of John, where we already uh, discuss Again, John the Baptist. Um who was at that time, you know, the kind of one of the most popular uh, people around, and uh, he was baptizing, and he was, you know, fulfilled some of the the prophecies um, that as we see here, and we are introduced to Jesus, who basically just uh, starts to recruit some people, and uh, yeah, he just. You know, well, two of them decided to just follow him after John said, "This is him, the Lamb of God," and then they brought another two. So we're at four disciples now, and uh, we're gonna jump to the Psalms. So today's might be a little bit longer because I also want to give a quick um, introduction just to the to the title and theme of the Psalms because it's it's a it's multiple, but. Um, multiple authors, but, you know, the, the just the theme, and, and then we can jump into Psalm 1, and uh, Proverbs 1, which is uh, a book of wisdom, so the, even if you don't believe in the Bible, um, there's a lot of wisdom in, in the book of Proverbs, and in the Psalms. So, um, Title, The Book of Psalms or Psalter has supplied to believers some of their best loved Bible passages. It is a collection of 150 poems that express a wide variety of emotions, including love and adoration toward God, sorrow over sin, dependence on God in desperate circumstances, the battle of fear and trust, walking with God even when the way seems dark, thankfulness for God's care, devotion to the word of God and confidence in the, inven- in the eventual triumph of God's purposes for the world. The English title comes from the Greek word psalmos, which translates Hebrew mizmor, which means song, found in many of the psalm titles and simply translated as psalm. This Greek name for the book was established by the time of the New Testament. This is rep- because it's reference in Luke 20 and Acts 1. The Hebrew name for the book is Tehillim, which means praises, pointing to the characteristic use of these songs as praises offered to God in public worship. So some of these are actually songs, right, that they were used to worship God. Um, theme. The Hebrew label for the Psalms, praises may have originally reflected the idea readily found. Actually, they didn't cover off, Oh, yeah, it's that's next. Uh, so authorship, uh, it's its multiple authors, but a lot of them, I'll just read that part, many of these psalms have titles, and these titles can include liturgical directions, notes, and possibly the identity of the author. Um, many of them are written by David, and he does identify himself in most of the ones that he writes. And uh, the other ones, some, some don't, but some of them, we do have it. So anyways, going back to theme, the Hebrew label for the Psalms praises may have originally reflected the idea readily found today that adoration and thanks to God are the primary acts of worship, but it would be better to learn from the title of the entire Psalter that the whole range of the Psalms from adoration and thanks to the needy cry for help, even the desolate moan of Psalm 88 praises God when offered to him in the gathered worship of his people. So that's pretty cool. Um, essentially any, any even these type of emotions can be can be adoration right um thanks to the needy cry of, for help even the desolate moon of psalm 88 praises god when offered to him in the gather of worship of his people and uh what i like about that is that it starts to show who god really is in his character which is not a f- you know foreign god doesn't care about us he he does care about us intimately and, and personally in each verse anyways so i'm just going to read psalm one and uh and we'll just go from there. Okay, actually, I'll, I'll read the, the key themes. It's only uh, four of them that are mentioned here. I think these are important. So the key themes of the Psalms, it's kind of a long book. So I'm just going to read this. The Psalter is fundamentally the hymn book of the people of God at worship. The Psalms take the basic themes of Old Testament theology and turn them into song. Thus, themes common throughout the Old Testament reappear in the Psalms and include the following. One monotheism, the one true God, maker of heaven and earth, and ruler of all things, will vindicate his own goodness and justice in his own time. Every human being must know and love this God, whose spotless moral purity, magnificent power, and wisdom, steadfast faithfulness, and unceasing love are breathtakingly beautiful number two creation and fall thought though god made man with dignity and purpose all people since the fall are beset with sins and weaknesses that only god's grace can heal can heal so the second theme is creation and fall that we made were made with dignity and purpose uh, but we are, have sin and weaknesses that only God's grace can heal. Number three, theme, key theme number three, election and covenant. The one true God chose the people for himself and bound himself to them by his covenant. This covenant expressed God's intention to save the people and through them to bring light to the rest of the world. And number four, covenant membership. In his covenant, God offers his grace to his people, the forgiveness of their sins, the shaping of their lives in this world to reflect the his own glory and a part of play in bringing light to the Gentiles. The Gentiles is any non Jew. So, um, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So this is to bring the light, play a part of bringing light to the Gentiles, which is interesting because this is basically the theme of a lot of the new Testament. And the Psalms were written hundreds of years before then. Um, uh, but the new Testament was basically when, the it was revealed that, um, You know, the gospel and salvation was open to everybody, not just Jews. Each member of God's people is responsible to lay hold of this grade from the heart, to believe the promises, to grow in obeying the commands, and to keep on doing so all their lives long. Those who lay hold on in this way are the faithful as distinct from the unfaithful among God's people. They enjoy the fullest benefits of God's love, and they found They find boundless delight in knowing God. Each of the faithful is a member of a people, a corporate entity. The members have a mutual participation in the life of the whole people. Therefore, the spiritual and moral well-being of the whole affects the well-being of each of the members, and each member contributes to the others by his own spiritual and moral life. Thus, each one shares the joys and sorrows of the others and of the whole. The faithful will suffer in this life, often at the hands of the unfaithful and sometimes from those outside of God's people. The right response to this suffering is not personal revenge, but believing prayer, confident that God will make all things right in his own time. Eschatology. The story of God's people is headed toward a a glorious future in which all kinds... Okay, so this is theme number five. Eschatology, the story of God's people is headed toward a glorious future in which all kinds of people will come to know the Lord and join his people. It is part of the dignity of God's people that in God's mysterious wisdom, their personal faithfulness contributes to the story getting to its goal. The Messiah, the ultimate heir of David, will lead his people in the great task of bringing light to the Gentiles. Very cool. All right. Yep. Yeah, so those were the themes. Now we're just going to read Psalm 1. It's uh, six verses. it take about 60 seconds. The Psalms, Book 1, Chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, that's chapter one of Psalms. Um, Already uh, big statements, you know, there. Um, But what I I can dissect from this is the value of the word of God, right, and and, uh, and, and his law and and how it says, uh, blesses the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. Basically somebody who doesn't seek these things. uh, But his light is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on that and focuses on that day and night. And it says that he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And that's verse 3. So amazing promise already in uh, book one, chapter one of the Psalms. And uh, this is why I think there's so much value in bringing the Word of God to people because, as it says here, uh, we can be blessed by understanding and hearing and and actually following most importantly what it says all right so now the book of proverbs and this one i don't think i need to read the the background um but proverbs is a book of wisdom Many of the proverbs well the majority of proverbs was actually written by solomon which is the son of david and, uh, yeah, he was believed to be and said to be in the old world. There's uh, historical evidence as one of the wisest men that ever lived on an earth. And kings and queens from different regions would bring him gifts of gold and other things um, to Jerusalem. So uh, this is in the history of, of the Jewish people when David lived and, and then his son Solomon, which is there's an, an interesting story behind that. They were definitely not perfect people, at all, <laughs> um, as you can learn in the Bible. But Israel was in a way um, enjoying a time of blessing. Uh, they, you know, God had blessed David to be co- to conquer his enemies, to win many va- battles, and therefore many of the neighbors, which were other kingdoms, um, would not mess with the Israelites at this point. So they were able to. In- or they still did, you know. They were always kind of fighting each other, but um, they they were able to like protect themselves and whatnot, and therefore Israel prospered. And uh, the proverbs, it's Solomon, and a uh, little bit towards um, the latter part of his life. This is where it's it is said that uh, basically God granted Solomon one one thing, one gift, and he asked for wisdom. And uh, yeah. Anyways, so we're just going to read Proverbs 1. The beginning of knowledge is what it's titled. Um, Very interesting title, the beginning of knowledge. And it says, verse 1, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The enticement of sinners. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Um, I made a mistake. So when I said the enticement of sinners, that's the title uh, that they gave to this section, but that's not part of what is actually written. So um, the verse seven, which the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, and immediately after he would read, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. And whole like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throwing your lot among us, we will all have one purse, my son. Do not walk in the way with them, hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet will run, their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Next section is titled here, The Call of Wisdom. But it would just continue Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets she raises her voice, at the head of the noisy streets she cries out, at the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would not have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at you at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despite all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices." For the simple are killed by their turning away. They're turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. Complacency is uh, getting comfortable with being comfortable. But whoever listens, this is the last verse. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That was Proverb one. A lot to digest already, and uh, this is why. Although I'm going to go over, you know, over the, the scripture in this way, where I'm going to read uh, one chapter of the New Testament, one Psalm, and, and one Proverb, um, because I want to advance. Because there, <laughs> there's a lot more uh, to read and to get to know from the from the Word. I also uh, don't want to go too much further. This is more than enough for, for a person to to digest and to uh, meditate on, uh, because there's a lot that is that is said here, um, and it can it can require uh, for a person to meditate upon it to to understand the meaning behind it. So. Uh, yeah, the cool thing from what I can extract from this chapter in Proverbs is from verse 20 where you know it's titled the call of wisdom and it says wisdom cries aloud in the street in the market she raises her voice at the head of the noisy street she cries out at the entrance of the city gates she speaks and then how long calls calls people out which is kind of funny how long oh simple ones will you love being simple and I mean he's calling everybody how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge right so um we can see that Solomon doesn't play right. He's he's very uh, clear about about wisdom, and uh, and uh, in a way, he he's not very kind to those that, um, as we saw in the latter part of the chapter, that uh, that ignore wisdom. But what I like about it is that it says that wisdom cries aloud on the street. So basically, wisdom is available, right? It's readily available to anybody that wants to listen to it. Uh, the problem is, as it says here, that fools hate knowledge and they turn at their reproof, is many people don't want to listen to it, right? They, they prefer to just kind of continue in their own ways, as we've discussed. So, um, you know, that's why we talked about humbleness, how that's one of the most important things. Um, and in a way, that's how I understand when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's coming more from that place of humbleness rather than of actual fear, right? So, It's understanding who God is. It's understanding that we are way smaller than him and we don't know much in comparison to him. Um, And, you know, uh, the good thing is, again, he's given us his word so that we can be instructed and learn and be nurtured um, to be able to grow, uh, which ultimately is key. This is why we are here on earth is to grow and to understand, to develop and to make decisions. And, um, you know, I hope that everybody's on that journey. and, And this is why I've, gone over all the other content again um and hope that it, it's brought you value um i know it has not to uh <laughs> pat my own uh back or whatever but you know it's i i know it's it's there's a lot of value there um so you know i just want to continue to to expand now on the word of god because there is so much more wisdom and knowledge in this word than what i could ever provide so anyways uh that was it for today I don't want to keep it going if it's going to get too long. And uh, yeah, I look forward to continue to reading scripture um, in the next time we connect. Thank you very much.